And so this morning I want to talk to you about uh, being focused, being focused and the importance and how vital it is in regards to being focused. And, and, and we got some more rain because somebody said, rain, rain, go away, come back another day. Um, and so I want to talk to you about being focused. When I was praying about this message, I was rem- reminded of a story, something that happened to me several years ago. Grew up in Louisiana, and I do, used to do a little bit of water skiing, but I always wanted to go snow skiing. Anybody ever been snow skiing before? Huh? So, so I, 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 just, I just, you know, grew up in Louisiana, loved to, to water ski some. And so um, we, 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 we entered into ministry, and we, we went overseas. We lived in Europe for, for a few years. And we were living in Romania, and we had some uh, missionary friends of ours that were living in Bucharest. We were living in Pitesh, about an hour and a half away. And so they grew up in some of the northern states. They skied all the time. So they called us. It was about uh, probably end of February, something like that. And they said, hey, we're going over to brush off to go skiing. Do you guys want to go? And we were like, yes, I've never been skiing before. I've always wanted to ski. Yes, I want to go. We want to go. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm talking to this guy on the phone. I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get some lessons, and it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. He said, no, 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 no. Don't waste your money on lessons. I taught my kids to ski. I'll teach you. I'll teach you and your wife. Okay, so we went over to this city called Brashov. It's up in the mountains. Actually, it was a pretty cool little resort. And so we, we, we get out there, and, and, and by the end of the day, I'm going to cut to the chase on this part of the story. By the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, I had bruises in places on my body that I didn't know could be bruised. I mean, when I, when I laid down that night, I was like, what just happened to me? I mean, I was a wreck. And, and, and so um, the, my first skiing experience was not that great. So... We lived in Europe for a few more years, didn't ski anymore. I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. We moved back to the U.S., and, and God opened the door for us to pasture out in, in the West, and so in the Rockies. And so um, we had a ski resort near, the, near our house, and so I said, winter time's here, Sandy. <laughs> We're going skiing again. And she said, and you're going to get lessons. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just going to figure it out. She said, no, no, you're not. You are getting lessons, Right. And so I, I, I did. I got lessons. And, and to, be, to be quite honest, it was a bit humiliating because I was by far the oldest person, and especially the oldest male, uh, in, the, in the lesson. I mean, there were all teenagers and kids there, so I'm sucking up my pride and trying to figure the ski thing out. And, and, and so they, they teach us, this, this young lady teaches, takes us all through the lessons, you know, how to snow plow and do all this. And so she gets to the end. She says, okay, before I turn you guys loose and you go back to your you know, your, 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 your parents or your wife or whatever, uh, whatever. Uh, I want to turn you loose. Uh, before I turn you loose, I want to give you one last bit of advice. And she said this. She said, when you're skiing, don't look at the trees. Nobody else raised their hand, but I did because I'm a curious person. I said, excuse me, why did you say that? Why did you say don't look at the trees? And she said, the reason I said that is because you will ski on what you are focused on. So she said that what you, what you always want to do is don't look at the trees because if you focus on the trees, that's where you're going to go. So she, she, she said you always want to focus on where you're supposed to go. Focus on the run and where you want to end up versus where you don't want to go. And I thought that's good advice for skiing. Can somebody say amen to that? It's, it's true. It's good for skiing. But listen to me. It's also great advice when it comes to life. Thank you for that wonderful Amen. Because there, 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 is, there is a truth, there is a truth that whatever you focus on, you will gravitate towards. 
Whatever you look at, whatever captures your focus is what you're going to gravitate and move towards. That is the reason that Paul wrote this very relevant scripture. I mean, this is written probably about a little over 2,000 years ago, around 2,000 years ago. And it was true then, but it's true now. Check this out. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it says, No one serving as a soldier, everybody say soldier, gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So what is Paul saying here, and, and how does this relate to us? And, and, and here, is, here, is, here is what he's saying. And, but, but before I elaborate on that, let me, let me give you a little bit of a, def, a definition. Uh, the, the, the word um, entangled simply means, means to be twisted together. So what Paul is saying is you can't twist together the life of a soldier and the life of a civilian. You can't twist those two together. It's impossible. And, and, and so, so what he was doing here is he was contrasting two different ways of doing life. He said you can be a follower of Christ. That's like a soldier. You can, be like, you can be a follower of Christ. You can be a believer. You can be a Christian. You can be a kingdom person. Again, that is really what he's saying when he's talking about a soldier's life. And you can't twist the two together. But the civilian life is more of the culture. It's the world. And he's, what he's saying is you can't really do both of those at the same time. You can't twist those together. So essentially what Paul was saying, because these, uh, these approaches to life are strikingly different, uh, uh, really what Paul was saying was this. He was saying, Paul, listen to me, son. You can't do the Christian walk and the walk of culture at the same time. You cannot twist those two together. What he is saying is, 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 Timothy, make sure that you get focused and you stay focused on the Christian life. Can somebody say amen to that? He says that you got to make sure that you are staying focused. You cannot twist the two together. And and so again, why why would Paul say this? Why would Paul tell Timothy this? And why is it so relevant uh, for us here today? It's it's, it's important for us to know this because whatever holds your focus will hold your future. Whatever holds your focus, it will hold your future. And that's the reason Paul told Timothy this, and it's so relevant today, that, that we have to determine in our hearts that we are going to get focused on God's way of doing life and stay focused on that. Because whatever, again, whatever holds our focus will hold our future. And you say, well, Pastor John, why should this even matter? Why, why, should, why should this even matter? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm saved, I love Jesus, I come to church, I'm just doing life. Why is it so important to be focused and why should I even care about what I'm focusing on? And here's why. Because there is an inescapable truth about following Christ. There is an inescapable truth about not following Christ. Everybody ready for this? <laughs> We're all going to die one day. And somebody said, I wish you would just be more positive. I wanted to hear a more positive message. That's the reason that I came to church. I'm positive that all of us are going to die one day. (laughs) I'm positive. The only way you're going to get out of that is the rapture, and we don't know when that's going to happen, right? But outside of the rapture, I'm positive that if you're a Christian or not, you're going to die one day. But here's the thing about Christianity. This is the reason we should care about what holds our future, will holds our future, holds our focus, holds our future today. We're all going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to ask us about how we conducted our life. And everybody listen to me. 
the rewards and, and the, 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 the rewards that we will experience and, 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 and experience from that day forward is determined by how we conduct our life in this life. All I'm hearing is the raindrops right now. But it's true. But sometimes we're so afraid of that, we get scared of that. We're like, oh, I don't want that day to come. No, no, no. It can be a great day when Jesus looks at you and says, you nailed it. You did great. You did what I asked you to do. You didn't try to mesh the two together. You didn't try to mesh Christianity and culture together. You got focused and you stayed focused. That day's coming, ladies and gentlemen. I'm positive it's going to happen. That's the reason that, that pastors like myself, pastors like Pastor Josh are constantly saying, hey, 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 there's more to this life than just this life. we got to get busy. we got to stay focused. And again, that's the reason Paul wrote this and said this. He said, Timothy, and he's saying to us, I believe today God's saying to us, we got to stay truth because whatever holds your focus affects and holds your future. And ultimately, watch this, because ultimately distractions will derail you. Distractions are going to derail us, and, 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 and especially when it comes to God's truth. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I really struggle with there being absolute truth, and is God's word the absolute truth? And I just really struggle with absolute truth. I don't know if there's any such thing as absolute truth. Well, the, 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 you, don't, you cannot be intelligent and believe that. You, you cannot. You cannot be intelligent on any level and believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. You say, well, prove that to me. Well, I'm glad you, did, you asked, all right? Hold your breath for five minutes and, and try to remain conscious. Huh? Hold your breath. I mean, don't do it later. Maybe do it at home. <laughs> Kids, don't try this at home. Hold your breath for five minutes and try to remain conscious. Why? You, you, you can't do that. There's an absolute truth. You need oxygen in order to... Breathe, uh, to live. You need oxygen in order to stay conscious. Is that right? So if there's one absolute truth, then there can be other absolute truths, right? And so that is the reason we have to approach God's Word, even though sometimes we don't understand it, we can't always make sense of it. We've got to approach God's truth, God's Word, as absolute truth. Can somebody say amen to that? And the enemy loves for us, and he wants us to be distracted uh, in regards to God's truth. And you say, well, why is God's truth so important? And this is why. God uses his truth, his absolute truth, watch this, to manifest his life in ours. He uses his truth, his word, to manifest his life into our life. But he's not gonna, it's not going to happen automatically. It only happens when we trust God's truth, when we believe God's truth, when we choose to stand on God's truth, even when we don't feel like it's true or not. When we believe that God's truth is the ultimate truth and hold on to it, listen to me, his life will be manifested. His character will be manifested. His power will be manifested in our lives. Can somebody say amen to that? And so when we focus and we focus on God's truth, listen to me, the next thing that begins to happen is that God's life begins to manifest in our life. It begins to manifest through us because, because God just doesn't want us to, his life to be manifest in our life so we can experience his life. He, his, his, his life, he wants his life to be manifested in us so other people can see him. You know, I, I, I've, been working, I've been working in the real world for a while. I have been. And to be honest with you, I'm honest with you, it's been an eye-opening experience for me. Because I pastored for a long time. 
And I realize sometimes pastoring, you can get isolated. And you can forget what it's like out in the real world. I've been working in the real world. And I want to, if you're walking and you've got you to walk with Christ and you're being a light in your workplace, I want to give it up for you. Amen. Because it, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not easy. I get it now. I get it. But God, God, doesn't, God didn't just save us from something. He saved us to something. He saved us from hell. He saved us from eternal punishment and separation from God. But he also saved us to a purpose in which he's called us. And that purpose happens when God's truth and God's word manifests in our life. And that's the reason that, that we have to understand that the greatest battle that Satan has is the battle for our focus. That's what he goes after. And Jesus, Jesus uh, talked about this in Mark chapter 4 when he's talking about the word and the truth and us receiving and believing and accepting God's truth. In Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand? And there was the followers, his followers. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? He said, The farmer sows the word. He's taught this parable about a farmer going out and sowing seed, right? The seed represents the what? The Word. What manifests from the seed or the word? God's life. When it grows, it begins to produce that in our life. He says, so the farmer goes out to sow the word. Some people are like seeds sown along the path uh, where the word is sown. But as soon as they, what, they hear it, what happens? Satan comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. So the question is, the question should never be, does Satan come after the word? That's the reason, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, you can hear the word on a Sunday morning, or you can hear the word or read the word in your devotional time, and, 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 and often circumstances or thoughts contrary to what you just read or what you heard crops up or shows up in your life. If, if, if that happens, here's what you need to understand. Everybody look at me. You're normal. What's happening is normal. And what's happening is, is the enemy, what, immediately what? He comes after the word. Because the last thing that he wants is for God's life to manifest in your life. That's the last thing that he wants. The, the, he, he, the last thing that he wants is for God's word to have place in your life and in your thought life. Because if that happens, or when that happens, listen to me, it's game over for him. It's game over for him. But how, so that, that's, that's, there should be no question. But the question is, how does he do that? You know, the, the Bible describes Satan, gives him several different names. Same person, but different names. Satan, you see that in the Bible. Beelzebub, you see that in the Bible. Uh, Lucifer, you see that in the Bible. Um, uh, I, I could I forget other, other names are escaping, right? Devil, Satan, uh, Beelzebub, but any Lucifer. But, but, and those are all very accurate names. But I believe one of the greatest ways to describe his tactics... His tactic, the way that he does his life or he walks out his assignment or his desire. The greatest way to describe him would have to be an illusionist. An illusionist. If you talk to an illusionist, they'll tell you the crux of an illusion is a distraction. If you don't have a distraction, there's... No way that an illusion can be pulled off. You've got to have a distraction. And in and, and, and regards to Satan, he is the greatest illusionist that has ever and will ever be. 
There are many greats that, that the illusionists that, that have, have lived, and there are some that are alive today. And again, if you interviewed them, you brought them here, they would say the only way you can pull an illusion off, the only way you can pull a trick off is you have to have a distraction. You have to get the individual that is watching and that is focused, you have to get their focus. Even for a split second, you got to get it off. Because when you get their attention over here, that's when you pull the trick off. Are you following me? Satan, everybody listen to me, Satan is the greatest illusionist of all. And the thing that he wants to do, especially when it comes to God's word, is that he wants to get your attention, what? Off of the absolute truth of God's word. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot, we cannot live a soldier's life. We cannot live a believer's life. We cannot be a follower of Christ without God's truth or God's word in it. And as we stand and as we believe and as we pursue God's word and God's truth, listen to me, listen, uh, uh, we have to know that the Satan is going to come to try to get our focus off of that. Because he knows if he can get our focus over here, what's going to happen? Whatever we focus on, what is it? That's what we will always gravitate what towards. I'm preaching really good this morning. <laughs> this is good stuff. You see, sometimes people believe, gosh, if I just read the word, God's going to move in my life. Everybody listen to me. God sent his word and has given us his word for a greater purpose than just to read. Sometimes we go, God, I read, your, I read your word. Okay, where's your faithfulness, God? I read your word today. I, I, read, I read a whole chapter, God. You should do something magnificent in my life. God, God never intended for his word just to be read. He, he, he intended for his word to reveal. He, he uses his word to reveal some things to us, to show us some things. And sometimes I believe that we... we Especially if we've walked with God a while, we, we lose our curiosity. We're, we're, we're no longer curious about what God has for us. We're no longer curious about what the, the next season that God has. We're no longer curious about knowing God better than we know him today. We're no longer curious about a, a facet of him that we've never known before. But let me tell you something. Curiosity will change your life. How many have ever heard of a guy named Moses. So Moses is walking along one day, and he's in the backside of a desert. How many of you know that you can be alone, or it seems like you're alone, in the backside of nowhere, but God hadn't forgotten where you are? I love that about God. He, he hadn't forgotten where you are. So, so Moses, he's, he's on the backside of a desert just, you know, just taking care of some sheep, and he's walking along, and he, he, he sees this bush that's burning, but there's something peculiar about this burning bush and that is, is that the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. It's not being burned up. So what does he do? So he's walking along, and he sees that, and he doesn't just walk by it. He's what? He's curious. He's curious. And he says, I'm going to go see what that's all about. And he goes over there, and we know what happened. God met him in that moment and spoke some things to him and changed his life. Listen to me. As believers, we've got to be like that. We've got to become more curious. And God, I may not understand what your truth means here. I may not understand what this means, but, but I'm still going to be curious. I still want to go over there and have an encounter with it. When we sit down with the Bible, with the Word of God, we don't need to sit down and read it uh, with the sake of just, for the purpose of just reading it, believing God's going to move in our life because we read the Bible. We need to be curious about it and say, God, Holy Spirit, help me. I don't understand this, but I'm curious enough. I'm going to stay with it until I do get it. That's it. That's it. Amen? Amen? Wow, I'm preaching good this morning. 
A lot of this is not even my, in my notes. And so sometimes people, in pursuit of God, they're, they're like, and I, I've been hearing this quite a bit since I've been out in the workplace. I've been hearing it quite a bit from my teammates and stuff like that. They say, you know what, I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just not there yet. I say, what do you mean by there? Well, I'm just not there, meaning, you know, I don't know that God can really use me because I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not there. I say, well, where is there? They're like, I don't know, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> so I say, well, what, are, what you're really saying is that you're really not, you don't think you're perfect or good enough or perfect enough to be used by God in wherever you are. Yeah, that's what I mean. And here's what I've been telling them. God does not expect perfection. He does expect pursuit. God doesn't expect perfection, but he does desire pursuit. He expects pursuit. And being, and being curious to pursue him, pursue his word. And I'm going to give you three reasons why we have to be more curious about the word of God. And the fact that the word of God is not meant just to read, and God's not going to move in our lives just because we read it. It's really to bring our focus and our attention on three important things that the word of God reveals. Number one is that the word of God reveals who he is. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how better I can say this, but we desperately, desperately, desperately need to know God better than we did yesterday or the past. We have got to get to know God in a way that we've never known him before. Can somebody say amen to that? You say, well, I've been a Christian for, I've been a Christian for a while. I mean, I know God well. Let me give you a scripture that will help you with that, all right? And it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul's writing to the church folks. And he said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Watch this. Watch this. So that you may know him, what? Better. So he's writing to church folks. And, and Paul is saying to church folks, I know you know God. I know you know him, <laughs> church folks. But there's more of God to know. Can somebody say amen? There's more of God to know. There's more of God, God to know. That's the reason, again, we've got to be curious. And we've got to, to say, God, I, I, I'm curious about your word. I'm curious about your truth because I, I want to know you better. I want to know you better. I want to know something about you that I didn't know before. You know, again, again because God's not going to move in our life just because we read a devotional. Let, let, me just, let me just give this to you. And I'm trying to move because i got a lot of content, but I don't want to keep you here till 3 o'clock. Okay? You should thank me for that. So... So I, I was thinking about this not long ago, how, how that when Jesus was on the earth, he moved in people's lives. Would you, we, we can all agree with that, right? You, you see that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can see that. It was amazing that he would move in people's life. Like the woman with the issue of blood. So she had a bleeding disorder. She, she, she did everything that she knew to do to get better, but she didn't get any better. But then she heard about Jesus, right? She heard about Jesus. And she, obviously she heard of the specific things that he was doing. Right? And so she got it from where she was at. You know the story. She, she moved towards him because whatever holds your focus, what? Holds your future. And, and so, so, so she's moving towards the word made flesh. All right? So she's moving towards Jesus, and her life was changed. Listen to me. The reason that she did that was because, not because she read it in the Bible. Because there was no Bible. There wasn't a Bible. She didn't turn to Matthew or one of the Gospels or, or anywhere in the Torah because she wouldn't have even had access to any of that. She, wouldn't have she didn't turn that and go, oh, I read the Bible. Jesus, you should heal me. Right? Jesus, you should move in my life because I read the Torah. That's not what happened. 
she heard about Jesus. And when she understood something specific that, that, that was relevant to her life, what did she do? She moved towards that and her life was changed. When you read the Bible, there's the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Listen to me. There's a Holy Spirit, and he will reveal God, and he will reveal character, and he will give you answers to the problems that you're facing right now. Your focus goes that way, and guess what happens? Your pursuit will follow that, and you'll begin to experience God in a fresh new way because he will begin to move in your life. Listen to me. Not because you read it in the Bible, but because you trusted him. Because you trusted him. The next thing that God's truth will manifest in your life is manifest who God is, but also who you are. Let me just say it this way. It will manifest God's version of you. God's version. Let me just say this. Everybody that you meet, everybody that you meet will form an impression of you. So if you stay around them a while, that, that impression will begin to change. That it will turn from an impression to a view. They will begin to see you a certain way. So we could say it this way. Everybody we meet will have a version of you. It's their version of you. It's their, the way that they see you. And, and it can, most of the time it's good. How, how, many, how many like that when, they, when, they were like, when you're like, oh, man, so-and-so thinks I'm just such a servant of the most high God. And I just so like that one. But then there are times where people may not like you too much. They may not like that version of you. And may, they may dog you out a little bit. I was talking to someone not, not long ago, and they were, they, they were just up. They were Christians, and they were kind of up. This is in the workplace. They were up in the air about, about something that was going on. It's not fair. It's not fair the way this person's acting. They're getting promotions, and it's not fair. And, and, and these were Christians, and I, I've developed a relationship with them, and I asked them this question. Would you rather have fair or would you rather have favor? Do you want what's fair, culture standards, or do you want the favor of God? Can somebody get a little excited about that? Because, because you, you really don't want what's fair. You don't want that. You think you do, but you don't want that. Because was it fair for Jesus to hang on the cross for your sins? Was it fair for Jesus to be beaten for you? Was it fair for Jesus to hang on the cross and be separated from God uh, for a portion of time and experience all of that? Was that fair? Was that fair for Jesus who create, didn't create the sin problem, but he paid for his, with his life? He, is that fair? So do we really want fair? No, we don't want fair unless it benefits us. We want, we want what? We want favor. God's favor. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Can somebody say amen to that? And so they're, 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 they're talking about that. And I said, you, you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. So I said, what do you want? They said, you know, I think I'll take God's favor. I said, well, you, you can't get all tangled up. I said, and by the way, what else would you expect from people who don't follow Christ? What, what else? Of course they're going to do that. Of course they're going to say that about you. Of course. What, what else do you expect? But you don't return that because they do that. Is that God's version of you? Is that who you really are? Is that their version of you? I said, they said, well, that's their version. I said, well, you can't be worried about that. Are you following this? Because, because Jesus specifically said, he said, people are going to say bad things about you because you're a follower of mine. But I don't like that, Pastor John. That, I don't like that. I don't like it hurts. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you how, to, how to help with that. You have to be confident in God's version of you that manifests through his word. Are you following me? That has got to be number one in your life. What does God say about me? 
what is God's truth? What is God's version? Because God's word will manifest his version of you. And I'm going to say this. I've got to get to this in just a minute. It will solve the biggest problem and the biggest fear that you have. It will solve the biggest fear and the biggest problem and the most hurtful thing that you'll ever experience. Listen to me. It will heal you and help you, God's version of you, when you believe that and trust in that. It will help you and heal you of the pain of rejection. Are you with me? James 1, 23 and 24 says, Anyone who hears the word of God and does not obey it is like a man looking at his face in a mirror. Watch this. And after he, what, sees who? Himself. Watch this. He looks in the word. It's a mirror, but it doesn't reflect back what you look like. It reflects back and shows you God's version of you. You look at that. Watch this. He sees himself, and he goes away. He forgets what, what he looks like. So, so staying focused on God's word, what happens is, is that he is revealing his version of us. He's showing us his version of us. But sometimes, somehow, we get distracted from that. And what happens? We pull away over here. Watch this. We pull away over here. And we get caught up in what other people are saying about us instead of staying focused what God says about us. You see, because culture will define it, career will try to define it. But listen to me. Our identity was never meant to be established. God's version of us was never meant to be established by, in regards to what we do. Never. Culture, you can't allow culture to define you. Because culture will change the rules on you real quick. I accepted you today, but not. I'm not going to accept you tomorrow. And now you've got to toe up to this line because if you don't toe up to that line, if you'll do that, then I'll, I'll, I'll accept you. Then you try to toe up to that one and culture will shift it again. And you just, you just get frustrated and worn out by that. We can't allow culture to do that. God ever intended it will destroy, it will wear you out emotionally. But I can tell you, God's version of you is the version that will work. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to ask you to give me this statement but I'm going to ask you what was Jesus what was Jesus first recorded statement what was his first recorded statement just in your mind think oh I know what that one was well I can tell you his first recorded statement had to do with his identity as a young man probably less than 12 years around 12 years old you remember when when Mary and Joseph took him they, they, they went and, and they went to the, I think it was Passover, right? Go to the Passover. And so they're, they were with big crowds of people and they're going back home. And, 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 and Joseph and Mary are walking along. And, and Mary is like, Joseph, where, where's Jesus at? Oh, he's, he's in the crowd. He's back with so-and-so. They're, we're all going in the same direction. It's all going to be great. Don't worry, Mary. And then I can imagine Mary goes, no, no, Joseph, are you sure he's with so-and-so? Oh, I'm telling you, he's fine. That boy's good. He's fine. He, he never gives us a problem. He's with us. I'm telling you. And Mary, I'm sure, just finally went, Joseph, go check and see if Jesus is with the crowd back there. We're all going this way. I mean, we're all moving further away. I mean, we're going home. And so Joe, he walks back there, and he looks, and I'm sure the panic set in on Joseph. He's looking around. He can't find Jesus anywhere. And it was like it dawned on him, I have lost the Messiah. I have lost the Son of God. <laughs> so he goes back to Mary and goes, I lost the Son of God. Oh, we have lost Jesus. We are in trouble. So what do they do? They peel back and go back and find him. Where do they find Jesus? 
right? Where do they find him? They find him where? He's where in the where? He's in the temple. They walk in and they're like, what are you doing, son? What did Jesus say? He said this. I'm paraphrasing it. Does it surprise you that I'm in my father's what? House or I'm doing the work of my what? That is a statement of identity. Because what Jesus was saying is, is God is my father and if God is my father, I have to be his son. That was his identity. That is where he started, and that is where he finished, and that is still the identity that he has today. Can somebody say amen to that? That is the reason that our children and our, our youth, and our, it is vital that we get that in them while they are young. Can somebody say amen to that? I was talking to a friend not long ago, and he was really struggling with a, uh, he's a Christian uh, uh, a man, and, and he's actually worked for the uh, uh, FBI for, for many, many years. And there was a shift, and he was really struggling with it. And I'm talking with it, and I said, look, man, um, I said, you, you, can't, you, can't allow, you can't allow what you do to define you. You have to allow what has been done for you. Not, not, that, that, that's defined you. His name is Chris. He's not my brother. He's, my brother's name is Chris, different Chris. I said, he, he, that, that, can't, that can't be what defines you, what you do and how successful you've been in that field and that career. That, that can't ever define you. Cross has got to define you, man. <laughs> He's kind of tough, dude. He kind of got choked up on the way. He said, man, I never thought about that. So our definition in God's view of us begins with the cross. That's the reason, reason 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. That has got to be the foundation of our identity. And you say, well, wait a second. How does that, how does that really help me? Here's, again, here's how it helps you. Because you are his child. Watch this. He cannot reject you. He can't. You don't know the mess I've made. It doesn't matter. He can't reject you. You don't, matter how, you don't know how I've failed him. It doesn't matter. He can't reject you. You belong to him. Can somebody say amen to that? working in corrections right now. I've been, been in another field in a few more months. And I've really got to know a lot of my inmates. There's one thing that I've noticed. The thing that I've noticed is this, is that there is an absence of fatherhood in their life. I don't know if it's the gray hair or what, but man, they... Now, I hold them accountable, and they know it. But they love... Sarge, that's what they call me. I'm not sergeant. Everybody in jail is a sergeant. Sarge. But they love me. I think it's because of the gray hair because, because I started a few weeks ago just doing one of my rounds. It's right after we put them to bed, and, and I'll tell them goodnight. I went by one of the cells. I thought two of them were asleep and went by and didn't say goodnight because I didn't want to disturb their sleep, so to speak. And I went by them, and then I heard them say, Sarge, you didn't tell us goodnight. I went back over there. Night, gentlemen. And I thought, why are they doing this? And I, I believe it's because probably the gray hair, but also because kind of a father figure to them. I'm going to finish with another story about that in just a moment. But, but the, the thing that you have to understand, you have to embrace, is that, that God is your father, and you're his child, and that has got to be the beginning of your identity. And never lose that, because the enemy will try to distract you from that. You'll gravitate towards condemnation. You'll gravitate towards being some illegitimate whatever. And it's just not true. 
And the last thing that the Word of God reveals to you, and if I could have someone to come up on the keyboard, the last thing reveals is this. It's, um, it reveals your purpose. It reveals your purpose. And it's so, so critical that we get this. So, so important that we, we, we grab a hold of this. Again, God didn't save, just save you from hell. He didn't just save you from the payment of your sins. That was not just the only reason that Jesus came to the earth. Because if it was, did somebody have a, like a real Bible? When I say real Bible, I mean, if you've got a digital version, would you bring your, this paper Bible up here? If you have a digital version, that's still, I've got one and it's, it's real. Uh, no, you messing with it. It's falling apart, right? Yeah, you, know, you know what? Someone said this. You can just sit right here, ma'am. Ma'am, just sit right there. Um, uh, someone said um, a Bible that's falling apart is um, uh, evidence that the one who's reading its life is not. So I like that. It means it's being used. But if, if, if God just meant for us to go to heaven and just sent Jesus just so we could go to heaven, which is a big deal. How many thank God? How many are thankful for heaven? Aren't you thankful for him? Aren't you thankful that we're, we're, our friends and our loved ones, we're going to see him again? Oh, wow. It's going to be a great day, isn't it? It's going to be a great day when we see Jesus in a way that we've never seen him before. Oh, it's going to be amazing. To see the Father. Oh, it's going to be amazing. But he didn't just save us from hell. So we could experience that. Because if that were the case, the Bible would be very short. There would be like one page in it. And it would probably read something like this. John, accept my son as payment, my son's death, as payment for your sins. Trust him. Believe that. Call me if you need me occasionally. Signed, God. P.S. See you in heaven. That'd be it, right? I mean, that's all we need to know. But the Bible is not just one page. It's lots of pages. And it's filled with people that God used to make a difference in their generation, in their, in their world. Just, that's the reason that we, get, we have all this. One of the big reasons. Are you following this? Because he didn't just save us from something. He also saved us to something. And that is a purpose. It's a purpose. He saved us to a purpose that he had for each and every one of us. Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite scriptures. This is Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Watch this. So we can do the good things he did what? Plan for us what? Long ago. Thank you for that overwhelming response. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. I love 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. It says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Not only do they live forever, but the effects of their life will live forever. Are you following this? You say, well, it's, Pastor John, it's just, it's just tough in the world. It's just tough to, 
Thank you. It's just, it's just tough to be light, as the Bible says. It's just tough to be salt, as Jesus said. I, I have to disagree with you because now I, I, I work in the world. I do. I'm still very involved in the local church. Just very involved in the local church. But I'm also, I, I work 12-hour shifts. I do. I work them. And it's been so good for me. Because I have had I don't know how many chances to be light, to be salt. And I realize it's not that hard. So now you can't say, well, it's just really hard, Sherry. No, it's not that hard. All you got to do, all you got to do, just watch your attitude. Be like light in the sense of not preaching to them. When they're complaining, don't join in. Or if they're complaining, I'll tell you a good way to stop complaining. You just say, hey, can we just pray about that? They're like, or they'll go, yes, we need to pray. Boom, let's pray. But, but we're called to be light wherever we are. We're called to be salt wherever we are. And so my 200 block, that's the medium security, and we do rounds, and they're the ones that, they're the ones that call me Sarge, and they're the ones that want me to tell them goodnight every night when I put them to bed, when I go do my rounds. So not long ago, I was doing my rounds, and uh, one of them in the previous early round said, Hey, hey, Sarge, can you, I got trial coming up. Can you pray for me? I said, Yeah. When I put you to bed, I'll come back and I'll pray. So I got back and I did my rounds in this inside, and I, I prayed for uh, this gentleman in, in, in uh, the, the, bottom, the bottom cell. So I went upstairs in the next level, and I'm working my way around, doing my rounds. I get up to the corner. And there's this one, this one young man, and I had quite a few problems with him early on. And uh, his cellmate asked me, he said, hey, Sarge. He said, can you just pray for all of us? And I said, and, and, and you know, when, I, when I'm in the block, everybody's listening to what I'm saying. You, they might be talking, but they're also listening. And I said, y'all want me to pray for you? And I heard him say, yeah, yeah, I want you to pray. Because I'm not going to do it unless they ask. Yeah, I want you to pray. So I stood up there, and I'm getting ready to pray. Well, there were a few down on the end. They were still talking a little bit. Don't get mad at me when I say this, okay? Just listen. This was just, I didn't say this. This was an experience that I had. So I said, all right, I'm fixed to pray. Then the gentleman in the cell below me, he's the one that everybody kind of listens to in the cell block. He cried out. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't leave or get, are you ready? Should I say it this way? I should probably not. I'll say it this way. He said, shut the blank up. Sarge is about to pray for us. <laughs> it got quiet as, I mean, quiet in that cell block. I mean, you heard a pin drop. I thought, I need to have him in the church. <laughs> have him next time I preach. I'm going to have him stand up and say that. And everybody, boop, everybody's quiet. Talking about, it's not that hard. It may take some time. But if you stick with it, God will open the door. I started just put them to sleep just saying good night. Sleep well. And now I'm standing. I got everybody's attention in that cell block. And I pray for God's purpose and God's plan for their life to be realized in their life. I pray that God would be seen in their lives like never before. That as they pursue Him, as they reach out to Him, that they would meet Him and know Him in a way that they've never known Him before. 
prayed that God would redeem the choices that they made. And whatever choices that they made, God's going to use it and turn things for the good. And let me tell you something. I cannot go in there now when I put them to bed and them not want me to pray. Every night, I pray for them. And I'm going to tell you something. I wasn't in a church building. I was in a cell block. And I felt the presence of God in that cell block every time I prayed. Matter of fact, the one who asked me to pray originally up in the corner, the other night, I said, you're going to pray. He said, yes, sir. Yes, Sarge. And he prayed over that cell block. So I got me a pastor plant in that cell block. Amen? Listen, wherever you are, God wants to use you. But just start by saying, God, use me. Give me just a little door. And when he gives you that little door, all you got to do is take the chance. And God will begin to move through you. And there's no greater feeling than to know you're being used by God. And do what he's called you to do.